And we welcome you to Bible class this morning and our KFU listening audience. We are happy you're with us as we continue our study of 1 John. And we are at chapter 5 this week. Chapter 5. Now, the first verse, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Now, let's start out, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. We're going back to what we've talked about earlier the fact that it was very important that the confession be that Jesus Christ is true man because there was were so many that leaned towards saying the spiritual is good, the material is bad. So by confessing that he is true man, confessing that he sent from God, he is the Christ, and therefore is our Savior, because he had to be true man to be our Savior. He had to be true man to take our place, to live as we do in this world, and to be able to shed his blood and die. So notice, it's very pointed in saying that Jesus is the Christ. This person, true man and true God, is the Christ, is the Savior that has been born of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, as we confess. Now, it doesn't mean in the sense that Christ is a created being, but he is begotten of the Father. And then it establishes the horizontal relationship. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. There was a similar verse in our first hymn this morning. In the hymn where charity and love prevail, the final verse reads, For love excludes no race, no race or claim that names the Savior's name. His family embraces all whose Father is the same. Now, there are certainly lots of passages in the Bible that tell us to love everyone. There certainly is, but it's not here. This particular verse and hymn verse are talking about the love the love that you have for those that are born of him, born of the Father. 
The emphasis here is on fellow Christian form, okay, from him. The language, you know, to begin with, it reminds us of John chapter 3. Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Born again. But the fact is, what's being talked about here is the special love that we should have for fellow Christians. The emphasis here is they're born of the same Father. So it's like saying in the natural realm, when there's one Father, brothers and sisters are born and they love each other. What this is saying is we have been born of the Father. We have been born of baptism. And therefore, we are brothers and sisters, and that love should prevail within the body of Christ as if we were brothers and sisters from the same Father because we are spiritually. We're the same. In fact, the word brother and sister in Greek actually mean from the same womb. So he is setting up a special relationship between fellow believers. The hymn emphasized everywhere in the world. That is, everybody who's born of God. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We are the children of God. We are the adopted children, and our adoption occurred in baptism. So we should be about treating one another within the body of Christ as fellow brothers and sisters. And this is why you see in some places of the New Testament, Paul uh, talking about concern for Christians that were elsewhere. When he took up the great uh, offering during the famine in Jerusalem from all over the Mediterranean to take back to Jerusalem. And his point was, their fellow Christian. In fact, they were Christians for you were. That is the same principle that should help us today as we support many things that are beyond our own congregation. Their fellow Christians. Now, I'm not saying just fellow Christians. There are times we do things for others, but this passage is not talking about that. Okay. This passage is talking about a special bond between believers because we are born of the same Father, our Heavenly Father, through holy baptism. 
So as I say, that was that was really that hit me this morning when we were singing the last verse of this hymn, that that grasped exactly what this passage is saying. All right, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. Now, the first thing you think of when you read that verse is, in other words, I love others when I keep the commandments. Don't go there. Now, the words here uh, actually do the commandments, not keep the commandment or obey, do the commandment. What he's really talking about here is the second table of the law. And what does Jesus say is the fulfillment of the second table of the law? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what the second table of the law talks about is our horizontal relationship. And notice it does it says do that in other words you love by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and do love one another It is not said is it is not saying you earn anything from God by doing this it's saying this is the natural outflow of faith that you love others. Your faith in Christ, his love for you, then you love others. And we see this borne out because it says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. All right. The law in it of itself is always burdensome. It always accuses, especially without faith in Christ. They're accusatory. Now, one author has suggested that it's best to translate these verses like this. By this we know that we love the children of God. We we love God and follow his instruction. For this is the love of God, that we follow his instruction, and his instruction is not burdensome. Now, what he's trying to do there is take the law, the legal demand out of this. You are now a child of God. He loves you. You are called and he instructs you that now you need to love one another. Instruction 
is a word that sounds a lot better to our ears than commandments. In other words, there's the thought that there's a natural flow, that this flows. How do you live as a child of God, redeemed by Jesus Christ? God instructs you as to how to do that. And we call that the third use of the law. God teaches us how to live as Christians. And so uh, that's helpful, uh, that it's instruction. It's not commandments. Now, notice it says, but this we know that we love the children. Okay, for this is the love of God that we follow his instruction. Okay. You, God loves you. And God tells us that the only way you show your love for Him is to love others. That is an outflow. The only way is to love others. You are to love others. That's how you show your love for God. Okay? Uh, and the great uh, sermon that Martin Luther wrote for Christmas Eve, that's the point. He says, all of you hear the Christian the Christmas story and say, oh, if I'd have been there, I'd have taken in the baby Jesus. I, I'd have let him in my house. I'd have taken care of Mary and the baby. And Luther said, no, you wouldn't, because you don't even take care of your next door neighbor. Gotcha. Right in the heart. Okay. That was his Christmas Eve sermon. Uh, you don't even take care of your neighbor. So he knew that. And then we, that's what's being talked about here. That's what's being talked about here. Okay, so, and then it's not burdensome. Uh, the passage comes to mind, um, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Okay? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Because you're not saving yourself. When you, when you have Jesus, you're not saving yourself. All these things can flow naturally from the heart of a believer. So they're not burdensome. The law condemns and terrifies. The law cannot comfort. It cannot comfort you. It cannot make, cannot make you feel better. The law always accuses. And so he's saying, once you believe in Jesus Christ, you know you're forgiven and have eternal life. You can now freely love one another, not because you have to, not because you're trying to earn anything, but because you can.
you can't. And he goes on to say that he will actually give us the power to do it. Okay, verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Now, what John is now doing is he's linking faith and love. Linking faith and love. He's showing us how they interrelate. And his emphasis is, if we're born of God, then we overcome the world. Now, certainly behind that is Jesus Christ's victory over all our enemies. But there's more going on here. It's everything we deal with in the world. So if you break that down, it's several things. So one of the things that the world does to you is offer you lots of sinful options. They're around us. They're constantly around us. Okay? They're constantly there as temptation. But there are other kinds of things that the world tries to overcome us with. That would be uh, in the intellectual realm, uh, trying to show us that uh, uh, this God business is not really the way and, and show us through intellectual endeavor how smart man is and how we're smarter than to believe in this stuff. So there's the, the base level of everything going on around us. Then there's the intellectual level of all of this is in the world. Now, what he's saying is we overcome this and the way we overcome is our faith. Our faith. Our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ um, is, is the way we overcome the world. But sometimes it, it seems too simplistic. So we hear all this, and it sounds so good, but what it's really saying is we have to go back and say, but that's not what God says. And therefore, I believe what God says. In spite of what the world thinks they know and uh, what they've learned and how right it seems, if it is opposed to what God says, then the Christian overcomes the world by simply saying, I believe what God In the face of everything, I believe what God Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. 
it's constantly testing everything. It's back to like uh, the first verse of chapter four said, test the spirits. It's testing thing and putting faith first. Ultimately, there's always been a battle between faith and reason. Faith and reason. And during the time of the Enlightenment, reason took over. Okay? Uh, at the time of even Luther's time, there were pastors who had gone over to the side of reason, and there actually are examples of sermons on Sunday morning on how to raise potatoes. Because it was based on reason, that's what we should be following. When faith and reason come together, there is this thing called sanctified reason. Sanctified reason is you look at things rationally, but when they come full force in the face of what God says, faith wins. It's when reason is your final authority that you have problems such as we believe that the body and blood of Christ are in the sacrament with bread and wine. What would reason say to that? Absolutely not. What does faith say? Okay. That's just one example. That's just one example. But faith is what overcomes the world. And then he asks a question here at the end. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Back again, Jesus, this man, Jesus, is the Son of God, both. The person that believes that overcomes the world. Okay? Overcomes the world. All right. Verse six, or any questions or comments up to now? Yeah. Right. That's overcoming the world. Because um, uh, even in our society today, the last person you consider is your neighbor. What's in it for me? When God instructs us and points us to others, that's the way we overcome that me that the world tells us. Hopefully what? Yeah. We listen to the words that God tells us. And sometimes that's hard to do because everything in the world says otherwise and looks otherwise. But we're told. Okay. All right. 
This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. All right. Immediately, when we think of water, we think of baptism. We think of John 3, you must be born again. But John is adding a factor here. The water of baptism is nothing if Jesus Christ did shed his blood on the cross. That is what makes baptism what it is. His shedding of the blood on the cross, his death, he died to sin. Sin died. Okay. And when sin dies, then we are freed from sin. That victory that he earned by shedding his blood is what makes baptism the powerful force, the power from God to give us forgiveness, salvation, and new life. So they must be together. The water and the blood. They must be linked. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Okay. Water, blood, Spirit. We can do all kinds of things with those three words. Water, baptism, blood, Lord's Supper, spirit, truth of the word. Baptism, Lord's Supper, word, those are the very things that we call the means of grace. The way that God comes to us. God does not just fall on us. We're not walking down the street and God just falls on you and you say, I believe. Okay? But he does come to you in the word. And he does tell you what Jesus Christ did for you. And that word, the spirit works through that word and changes your heart. A baby is baptized, and the Spirit works through that baptism to work faith in the heart. And the Lord's Supper brings us the forgiveness of sins. So, right here, John is... Uh, pointing us to the water and the blood, but then to the Spirit. And notice what he says, the Spirit testifies to this. The Spirit is truth. What overcomes the world? 
truth. What overcomes the world? Faith in the truth. What overcomes the world? God's instruction. It all goes back to him. Okay. And there are three that testify. The spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. Okay. These three agree. There's no division here. There's no teaching of one. The other one teaches another. It's all agreed. Every bit of it. All agreed. Now, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. Okay? If we receive the testimony of men, we will be overcome by the world. If we receive the testimony of the world, we are lost. The testimony of God is greater. Water, blood, spirit. So, what are the most important things when we gather as believers at worship? Baptism, the Lord's Supper, and the Word. Because they're going to tell us the truth. Baptism, Lord's Supper, and the Word. The basis of worship because... It is God coming to us. It's not us coming to God. God doesn't need us to come to him. We need him to come to us. So by the testimony of the water and the blood and the spirit, he comes to us. That's the essential of worship. That's why it's called divine service, because it's his. It's not ours. It's is. And he is the one that is coming to us. That's the most important thing about worship. Question, Ruth? Yes. I... Yes, I was going to talk about that. Thanks for reminding me. The Old Testament law said that anything had to be verified by two or three witnesses. That's the reason that John's going into this. Three witnesses. According to the law. Okay. The law. And it is like a courtroom. Uh, there's many things within the scriptures that are put in our courtroom kind of of uh, emphasis, but this is testimony. It can't be refuted. If you got two or three witnesses, it can't be refuted. 
The world may try to refute it, but the people of God say, because of these three witnesses, I believe it. Because they're given by God. <laughs> 